Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado. I'm your host, Deanna Bond, and I'm here to share my perspective on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisal. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. Last week, we brought you the first half to Free State or Bust. This is the continuation of that episode and our conversation with historical consultant, Ken Spurgeon. So this is, again, it feels like one of these complicated, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to make them complicated, I promise, I'm trying to bring it down. So immigrant aid societies were groups that are organizations that funded immigrants. Mm-hmm. So for example, the one that's the most famous is the New England Immigrant Aid Society, mm-hmm. which uh, was founded by a guy named Amos Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that funded what ends up being the settlement of Lawrence, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Robinson was his kind of head guy. Charles Robinson becomes our first real governor. Um, so they were going to, you know, stake a claim um, and stay. They were definitely going to stay. Mm-hmm. Immigrant aid companies were going to stay. So they would recruit, you know, 50, 100, 200 people, whatever else. Mm-hmm. So both sides did it. The New England Immigrant Aid Society was maybe the most successful. Um, but they were definitely going to be squatters when they got here or homesteaders mm-hmm. is a nicer way of saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say something about the bogus thing. Mm-hmm. So what happened which leads us to the phrase bogus, mm-hmm. is in 1855 when we have our first territorial election, mm-hmm. the results come back. So who knows, you know, when you have all these people come and how long do you have to stay and how do you register to vote? You, do you register to vote? Uh, no IDs, mm-hmm. no dog tags, no anything of any kind. Um, the first territorial legislature or first territorial uh, election, mm-hmm. you have 2,900 more voters then you have people. And we know this because... Well, we have a head count mm-hmm. of actual squatters, mm-hmm. and we have a head, we have a count of actual votes. Mm-hmm. If you had 2,900 more votes than you had people, mm-hmm. 2,900 people had to ride across the state line and vote and go back. Mm-hmm. Or we have people who don't live here, so how did that happen? Mm-hmm. So get ready for this. When those results were sent to Washington to be legalized Mm -hmm. or to be official, the President of the United States signed that. And he said, yes, the territorial legislature just elected can now take its seat. The legislature was predominantly pro-slavery. Free staters looked around and said, I don't see all these pro-slavery guys, and where in the world did all these votes come from? Mm -hmm. At least free staters said, it's Missourians. Mm -hmm. They rode across, it was only 10 miles, they voted, they rode back. So we call that legislature, which, which was seated, which was official, which mm-hmm. was legal. Because mm-hmm. remember, the president signed it. Mm-hmm. We call that legislature a bogus legislature. So some free staters said, to heck with that. If you're going to play that game, we'll go start our own. 
they'll be arrested by pro-slavery officials. Mm. So you'll have two legislatures at the same time. Mm -hmm. Lecompton, pro-slavery, Topeka, free state. So the Topekans are arrested and put in jail. In fact, mm -hmm. Charles Robinson, who will later be our first governor, he's actually arrested for a time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where you get the term bogus. And so both sides will use the term bogus back and forth, but the first legislature is clearly bogus. It's mm -hmm. baloney, you know. So that's where that comes from. Now did the legislatures, they had an impact on naming the counties? And was some of that because some were more pro-slavery versus anti-slavery, they wanted those names to reflect? that legacy or background that's probably right um that's right and some of those counties still have pro-slavery names mm -hmm. and some got rid of theirs right and that was something that i also wondered because we had talked about how some of these counties are no more or they were renamed or re re uh, fashioned mm -hmm. and and was that because they first started with the bogus legislature legislature that first kind of framed out the the counties yeah, or you had you might have had for six months or a year or two years, you might have had more southern settlers actually come to a county who later went away once they realized their side was losing. Mm. We do know that happened. You know, you might have had two hundred people or five hundred people. There was a minimum for county setup. Um, but you might have had, you know, five hundred people come in and three hundred might have been pro slavery or southern, uh, but a year later they were way overwhelmed by free staters. Because eventually free staters are gonna definitely overwhelm pro slavery. Uh, opponent, uh, opponents by quite a bit because we're going to get a lot of immigration from, as time passes, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio. Um, and people ask the question, why so many settlers later from Iowa? And check a cemetery and I'll show you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Iowa, Illinois. Why so, many, why so many settlers from those regions? Simple answer. Take a good drive through those states. Those are farm, that's farmland. Those are family farm, farmland. They're going to be able to transplant the way of life here. Mm -hmm. It's hard to take 500. Even if you had 500 slaves, it's pretty tough to pick them all up and leave your plantation and start over. Good point. So you're going to have a tough time transplanting at least large-scale slavery operations, mm -hmm. but you don't have a hard time transplanting the family farm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Indiana farmer has seven sons. Well, five sons can come to Kansas. They don't have much in Indiana. And they replay what they knew about in Indiana, you know, so. Mm, so I was interested in how we kind of touched on it, how Butler got its name, so I wore my Butler shirt today. In 1855, the Territorial Legislature um, established the counties for Kansas, and Butler was one of those original, I think it was 33 mm -hmm. counties originally, and so I wondered where, uh, why we, where we got our name. So the, the name comes from the Senator from South Carolina, Andrew Pickens Butler, who was a very strong pro-slavery legislator. And, um, and obviously, the, since, since we were an original county of the territorial period, there was pro-slavery sentiment that would have named the name. What's surprising about our county is that as much controversy that was around Butler and as Southern as his leanings were, it's surprising that in the next 15 years, the name wasn't changed. Like so many counties, names were changed. And I say so many. It's probably six or eight because mm -hmm. it's not a lot. Um, but Breck, Breckenridge was the original county for the area around Le, uh, Le, uh, Emporia, which became Lyon County. Um, so yeah, it's surprising that our name wasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The other name, other named county that I can think of that wasn't changed was Atchison. Uh, Atchison was named for David Rice Atchison, a pro-slavery uh, senator from Missouri. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's surprising that Butler stayed mm -hmm. stuck. You know, uh, there was a famous 
another famous butler who was a union man named Benjamin Franklin Butler. And uh, sometimes I've wondered if they, I don't know, obviously they didn't change it, but maybe some people thought, well, we could say it was after Benjamin Butler instead of Andrew Butler. Um, so, you know, I don't know. And then with the reorganization of the mm -hmm. counties, although that would have been a good time to change it. Yeah. You know, I, I did wonder that since they kind of changed Hunter to Irving to, you know, then Butler and then Cowley. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe they just wanted to pretend like just like you said, maybe just pretend it was from someone else. Uh, but that leads an opportunity for. Um, oh, ding dongs. I thought we wouldn't have to deal with that this episode. Um, uh, you know, that that leads me. I'm all about let's put in some proclamations and ask the, the governor to, to keep our name Butler, but officially recognize it as being named after maybe Ben Franklin Butler, you know, or something. Sure. But I mean, all early histories uh, that we've all seen, mm -hmm. 1870s, 1880s, they say Andrew Pickens Butler, mm -hmm. so they say it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying maybe they appeased themselves a little bit by saying it could be someone else, but it was absolutely Andrew Butler. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. And, it, and we're seeing so many... Uh, now landmarks and things wanting to be changed and renamed uh and i don't think that that sentiment is a new sentiment it's obviously it was something that they mm -hmm. um other counties considered in 18 well by the time kansas was a state it's 1861 our counties haven't changed since then correct right. they they became what what they are now yeah we have we have 105 counties which is the second most in the country mm -hmm. All the western counties, though, were basically not sorted out, figured out, and some were not named until after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, because we have Grant County, Sherman County, a lot of people who weren't even famous until the Civil War mm -hmm. that are in western Kansas. So, so those counties aren't going to aren't going to be organized and named. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other episode to talk about counties mm -hmm. and how counties were organized because it was, you know, you had to take your, you had to get so many residents and you had to go file with the state and all that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'm learning so many things. I'm, I'm so glad that you said that's a, a topic for another episode. That makes me feel hopeful that you'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> so while all this was happening, more and more of the abolitionists were moving into territory. So they were immigrating through that um, immigrant aid society group or... On their own. Yeah. But you think a majority of them were coming in as these groups. They were kind of... Um, I, I think a lot of them were coming individually. Okay. I mean, there were immigrant aid societies that were important, mm -hmm. but there were people who were rolling on their own too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so what? Why I'm thinking about that is, um, uh, once they got here, they were identifying more as the Free State or Free Free Soiler group, um, and and through my research, what I've learned is is uh, one of those started in Michigan. He was a land surveyor. Um, it's like that was his. Tr um, kind of a trade that he learned or apprenticed under his father and had been uh, working a sawmill. So he would build sawmills and then sell them. And he was coming to Kansas to kind of start a new life with his daughters. And um, and he joined kind of, I don't know if it was a, the aid society as much as it was like a, a town company. So people would kind of get together and they would gather people and say, hey, let's go make a town wherever we're gonna mm -hmm. go. Um, and so, so that, at this same kind of time, uh, this man, so his name was Samuel Stewart, and so he came from Michigan, and he was making his way towards Nebraska and, and Kansas. 
um, at, during this time. Um, and was, he was determined to, to be a part of this creating new voting districts. Like that is what he was coming for. He was like, I'm gonna start a new life, but I'm gonna do it to create a voting district, to build a town of free staters. And so, um, so I have this book, and the reason why we know this about him is because uh, uh, his daughter kept a journal uh, from the time they left Michigan and, and documented their travels and their coming to El Dorado. And the reason why she had done that was apparently, it was very common during the time people to, to send back stories back east, let people know what we're going on, and, uh, and she wanted to be a part of that. In her journal, what she, she kind of kept track of a couple of conversations. So the first one is when they had gotten from Missouri to, to Kansas. She asked her father why he wanted to come, why he wanted to come here. She writes in her diary, so we are in 56, early, so early, early Monday morning, they left Lawrence and they were on their way to uh, a prison camp, which you mentioned earlier. Her father had been in that prison camp with um, Deitzler? Dietzler. Dietzler, okay. Dietzler and some other gentlemen. And um, they wanted she, he wanted to visit with them. While they were in camp, he had been pardoned at this point, but he wanted to go back and talk to them about his plans for going further south to hmm. expand the voting district. And uh, he wanted, she, she keeps in her diary, she said, father wanted to visit with some of his friends who are still in the camp. Um, including Dietzler mm -hmm. and Captain Cracklin because he wanted to begin to organize a company for the purpose of laying out a town um, but far enough that it would be a new voting district. And so that was kind of the, the first first time I, I, I read his, um, well, these are her notes. Mm -hmm. he, we don't have any notes from him. That's a, another episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, and, and what it also does is give us a time for, we start to identify the key players who are making their way to El Dorado mm -hmm. and, and why. And, and what, um, what she lists in here, in our, one of our first episodes, we talk about the history that has been documented on the founders says, oh, there were people who, too numerous. We, we, we can't even tell you who they were or their names have been lost to time. And I take that as a challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanna go find, I wanna go find out who those people were. And um, so Sam Stewart is one of those who had been um, in the Battle of Hickory Point, which was a skirmish in September. I call it a skirmish. It was a two day mm -hmm. battle. And this would be during the Bleeding Kansas period. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, was that outside of Atchison, I think? Um, you know, I don't know a lot about Hickory Point. I have known, but I've, it's, it's, it's I know nothing. Me. I know nothing. The, the, the year 1856 was full of several battles. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was John Brown's high, high, high watermark year, um, with the Pottawatomie Massacre and the Battle of Blackjack and the Battle of Osawatomie. Mm -hmm. It's 1856 is almost Kansas, bleeding Kansas microcosm year, probably the most deaths. So there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Some of the arrests that you mentioned before, mm -hmm. the, with the, when these guys would have met, um, that does tell you that um, Stewart, right? Mm -hmm. Dietzler was a very important person later. He mm -hmm. was an important person then, but mm -hmm. he's later the colonel of the first Kansas, the first regiment raised. Mm -hmm. um, he's the found town founder of Emporia. Mm -hmm. um, he was an incredible guy. 
very good man. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's who the, that's who these people ran with, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and yeah, he was probably arrested by pro-slavery people a time or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also actually present when Quantrill raided Lawrence. Okay. He was home on leave, which is a bad time to be on leave. Yeah. And as he survived. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, that's there's a lot going on. And when was that the Quantrell's raid? Well, he raided more than once, but the most famous one, the terrible one, was 1863, August, during the war. Okay. But he raided Lawrence in 55. Yeah, that's why I, I wondered yeah. if it was a multiple or just one. So they once Lawrence was considered kind of the, well, they called it, Missourians called Lawrence the abolitionist hellhole because there were so many free staters outspoken. There were free blacks walking around. Mm-hmm. That's why I said Kansas was, um, you know, on the edge, really, of uh, doing some pretty incredible things, but they were also 30 miles away from slave owning mm. uh, places. And so, uh, yeah, problematic. Uh, it, yeah, Dietzer was was a great guy. So they're moving in some interesting circles. And I would imagine the people like Stewart and Cracklin and these guys they're figuring out who their friends are. Mm-hmm. That's what that first year or two is about. Like, who can I talk to? Who's on my side? Who might go with me mm-hmm. to El Dorado mm-hmm. or these other places to form a city mm-hmm. or a town? And I think that, to me, of all the things that that I could be looking into and focus on, because there's so many mm-hmm. things happening at that time, to see how these men are coming together or how they're being brought together, mm-hmm. uh, in the prison camp, mm-hmm. you know, it's is interesting is that they were they were willing to fight and and like you said to give up their own freedom mm-hmm. for the cause of of a free Kansas and um, it it didn't dawn on me that they didn't know e- they didn't probably know each other before they got here they came from Michigan or Ohio mm-hmm. or um, New England and and then they were all kind of I think Kansas is a big state but back then it wasn't that big people. Mm-hmm. Kind of all knew each other, mm-hmm. um, so so Augusta does tell us a little bit about the Battle of Hickory Point. So I've had a chance to research some of that. But like Susan, Suzanne likes to tell us, that's something people can come and learn more about if they're <laughs> interested in some of the the news articles mm-hmm. and and things at the time. But um, but I just think it's fascinating that some of the people that were lost to time actually were fighting together mm-hmm. and, and planning and strategizing how they're, and, and it's probably extra interesting to me because it's a voting year, mm-hmm. you know, how they're going to go create a new voting district, how they're going to um, get uh, a, a foothold mm-hmm. in our, because at this point it was a bogus legislature in 50, 56. 55 into 56. And they said, how can we create, so I don't know much about this, but they wanted to create a, their own constitution. They wanted to create the free state. Yeah, so, and there's going to be four attempts. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be uh, LeCompton, there's going to be Topeka, there's going to be Leavenworth, and then finally Wyandotte mm-hmm. succeeds. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing we weren't a pro-slavery state because the one of the originals, the pro-slavery constitution, the LeCompton one, I mean, it, it almost passed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and another, and in fact, the Leavenworth one was an attempt at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank God both of those didn't pass. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, it could have. Uh, you know, the margin wasn't as big as you might think. So, um, yeah, free staters almost had to wait it out mm-hmm. and uh, and keep coming and keep standing to, to win the day. Even though they most free staters would say, we never thought that there was more of them than us. 
but somehow it always seemed like we kept getting on the wrong end of the deal. Mm -hmm. So, so this is unrelated, but kind of related. How are Jayhawkers different from Free Staters? Uh, so a Jayhawker is someone who a Kansan who probably goes into Missouri and steals and plunders a bit and kind of pays back, quote unquote, Missouri for its crimes mm -hmm. of bleeding Kansas, or at least mm -hmm. that's what a Jayhawker would have said. But they definitely cross the line. I mean, they're inappropriate. And um, I mean, as a Kansan, we like to say our, the Jayhawkers weren't as bad as the Missouri gorilla, the Missouri bushwhacker, who does the same. We'd also say the Missourians started it, um, but there's no excuse for what the Jayhawkers did. Um, I heard a guy say one time, they used to say, were you, were you a good Jayhawker or were you a bad Jayhawker? Meaning, were you a Jayhawker who kind of stood up for yourself or were you a Jayhawker who crossed the line and went too far, mm -hmm. you know, and did things you shouldn't have done? And, um, and that's probably a good discussion. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but anyway, a Jayhawker was a bad thing. But we have to understand, like, when even when the, the college is founded, when the university is founded, a Jayhawker almost de defines for them something that stood up. Mm -hmm. Something that was unique and stood up for itself. And it's a cross between a blue jay and a hawk. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, uh, and it's fictional. It wasn't used for the first time in Kansas, actually. It was, the term was used in, other, in Louisiana and other places in the 1830s, 1840s, but it never stuck. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Hmm. So it's sort of a fanciful, fictional account of someone who's, of some bird that will go get, you know, go get what it deserves or, or go pay back <clears throat> crimes that have been committed, you know, so. So we wouldn't actually classify the free staters as Jayhawkers necessarily. Yeah, that's a, so that's a, it's a good question. Um, I mean, they are, but not every free stater is a Jayhawker. I wouldn't want to classify a free stater as a Jayhawker because by doing so, I'm almost saying free staters were all illegal. Because mm -hmm. okay. in most people's minds, eyes, a Jayhawker goes too far. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, you know, how sometimes we say certain themes or words or concepts uh, get taken too far. Mm -hmm. So a Jayhawk would have been a good thing, but the guys who called themselves Jayhawkers took it too far. So mm -hmm. it kind of almost becomes a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'm, I'm separating the two in my mind anyway. Because okay. I think a free stater is someone who goes homesteads and says, by God, I'm not moving. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be free staters here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He right. can very much be, a, he, they are, many of them are very good people. I, I'm, our future episode on Henry Martin, I'm pretty sure he was a free stater. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't found his political affiliation, but I, but I think he was. Um, but, but to learn that, that these, these names of these men, and I haven't seen, you know, them listed as Jayhawkers at all, at all. It was just something that, mm -hmm. that I, then I wondered what was the connection right. or, or the correlation. Um, but they are identified as free staters and, and, um, working towards a free state for Kansas to be brought into the union. Right. Um, and so I, you know, found a couple of names of some men he visited when he went to camp after he was released and went back to that. It was the army camp. It was uh, a union camp uh, just outside of uh, Fort Riley, I think. Now Fort Riley, but was it Pawnee or what was the name of that town then? Pawnee. Was probably. it Pawnee? Yeah. Um, I think that's where. So without opening, you know, and Googling. Uh, but I think that was it. And I think that's where they brought everybody. Um, it was just like a prison, a tent prison kind mm -hmm. of thing. Sure. But there were apparently a lot of people there, whether they were captured in a battle or... Um, identified as treason, tra uh, traitors, you know, or whatever, in the case of Dietzler. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then some other men that he visited while he was there that were in camp when he was there with him uh, was uh, Frank Swift and um, the Captain Cracklin. I think um, that uh, that was someone that I didn't understand his importance or his relevance to to Kansas. You might have even brought that up to me at first because Swift and Cracklin were both with the Stubbs. Um, was was that you that told me that, or am I making that up? A Pro conspiracy? Probably. A, I we talked about a mm -hmm. kind of uh, some of the free state militias that mm -hmm. were starting to get formed mm -hmm. once they felt like Missourians were possibly harassing them. Okay. Yeah. So Captain Cracklin, he originally came to Kansas with that immigrant aid um, company, uh -huh. came to Lawrence and um, was, so the way I was understanding this, the groups, they would come, they would say, we're all going to be a town, you know, you can be the, the mayor and the, you know, the sheriff and we're all going to take part in supporting one another and building our town and we need to you know, start something. Mm -hmm. um, and he was one of the council members for Lawrence, original, I guess, council. I guess that's what the commission is. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually started this free, this free state militia mm -hmm. called the Stubbs. And then Frank Swift was his, I don't know, co-captain or in charge when he, I don't really understand because this was all before this Civil War, so they weren't, they were all volunteer army. Mm -hmm. So they were going and having these battles. This is the environment that Sam Stewart comes into, and these are the people he meets. And, you know, he was just, uh, the way I originally thought of him, he was just a land surveyor, mm -hmm. sawmill guy, dad, a <laughs> couple of girls looking to, you know, kind of carve out the West mm -hmm. and finds himself uh, really passionate about wanting to stand up for the Free State cause because I think maybe uh, my conspiracy. Uh, that he thinks, well, I can't, I can't even go find a town until I, until I, um, you know, get all the obstacles out of the way, mm -hmm. you know, the, get the slavery issue, you know, I, I want to go and be in the center of it. I mean, I don't know that, my, my conspiracy. So at this battle at Hickory Point, which is a two-day skirmish, and I, I really think um, they, they were in prison because they killed some uh, Union, so, you know, Union soldiers. Um, eventually pardoned, they were accused of murder, found guilty, and I'm like, how can you accuse people of murder during a war? It's, it's, a, it's what it is, it's mm -hmm. a war, but I guess they did that then. Said, we find you guilty of murder, did they? Well, and you know, at that point, there's, these are, it's, there's no war. No, it was just the battles. This is just, this is just people going and finding somebody else and fighting them. Hmm. So there's no war declared by anybody yet. So this would be a very interesting story to research more about because this militia is, I'm not sure what instigated this, I read. Yeah, I mean, you have town militias, that's kind of an American tradition up until mm -hmm. the 19th century anyway. Mm -hmm. So it would be common to just defend the town against mm -hmm. who knows what, if it happened. So that wasn't, wasn't super uncommon. But like I said, Lawrence knew that you know Missourians were showing up mm -hmm. and people were showing up from time to time. And, and there were a lot of crimes, there were a lot of murders, and a lot of unsolved murders, and a lot of dead bodies here and there. So, it's a rough time. Mm -hmm. Makes me feel really grateful to live here now. <laughs> so, so that that meeting in, um, in this prison camp, when he went back, 
just to kind of, I think, to make sure, you know, take them some food, give them a, a, well, a morale visit kind mm-hmm. of thing, because they were eventually released, um, mm-hmm. uh, time served or pardoned or whatever. Um, and, and he says, let's, let's get out of here. Let's get out as far as we can to, to make our new town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are where he's recruiting. Well, I'm like, this is where he's recruiting the people that are going to take that journey to, to find a new town, which in, ends up being El Dorado. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, that'll take us to our, to our next, our next episode next time. But, um, I, I think it's just fascinating just to know that our, fa- something I never knew. I never even, I, I guess I didn't think, well, where did they come from? Why did they come here? But to learn that our founders were so passionate about making sure Kansas was a free state that they wanted to basically settle a free town. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted a free, um, whole, you know, Butler was a, a county mm-hmm. and maybe there were a few squatters here and there, mm-hmm. which we find out later that when they got here, there were a couple, but it was not organized at all until this group came. Mm-hmm. Um, and that group was led down here by Captain Cracklin mm-hmm. and, and Sam Stewart. It's all interesting to me. Well, I was and going back to talking, you mentioned the Native Americans that were already in the area and you know, governments aren't really asking their mm-hmm. ideas and thoughts. Mm-hmm. So when the group comes down, at some point, I know it keeps changing, but there is, is the Osage Trust is it later in the 1860s, 1870s, or is it already this part of the state already in the Osage Trust? It's at least post-Civil War. Uh, I, I know it's in place right, right after the Civil War. I don't know if, I don't know, I don't recall the date that it's official. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I know by the time the Civil War is over, um, it's there. You know, you also have the, the reason, one of the reasons that the Osage Trust lands are where they are, that the Osage land is where it's mm-hmm. at, is um, to the south you have the Cherokee, mm-hmm. and uh, and to the north you'll have the Kaw and the Pawnee um, on reservations. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the Kaw and the Pawnee, the Kaw especially, and the Osage, they're right where all these settlements are happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Are they there because they've all, always been there? It's their home, and it's no one their, asked them. It's always been there. It's always been their home. Okay, I'm a I'm a Kansan. And for me, I take, it's not that I don't have interest in other Native Americans, but one of the things I say in my classes is, if I can, if I could teach you about any Native Americans, I want to teach you most about the Kaw and the Osage and the Pawnee, because they're our people. That's their, this is their land. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I hope when you go to Arizona, they'll teach you about the Apache. And, you know, this, this is our, these were our people here. And so, yeah, so the, we're even where we are right now. Mm-hmm. This is Osage land. Um, and you know, my grandmother was born on the Osage Reservation in Oklahoma, but this is this is Osage land. Um, I started to say, you know, we all know the story of the little house on the prairie. Mm-hmm. He was where he wasn't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He was on Osage land. They weren't supposed to be there yet. The treaties had not allowed it. But another thing I would say is, you know, we can't even control migration now. Mm-hmm. You can imagine when, the, if even if the government got ugly and said "Don't go there," mm-hmm. people are going there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it was, I, it was, it was already Osage land before it was even officially Osage Trust land, okay. um, and they weren't supposed to go there, mm-hmm. but they went there. So as they were coming down in eighteen what fifty seven fifty eight, mm-hmm. this was uh, this. They, they, were not really, they probably really shouldn't have been here. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Yeah, they probably shouldn't have been here. Having said that, they were probably told by state officials, mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, they probably yeah. were told they could. And they came to they came to Butler. That's always the, that's mm -hmm. always the challenge. That's always the battle because you, you know, all homesteaders who even come later to Western mm -hmm. Kansas and Eastern mm -hmm. Colorado, well, the government's telling them they can, mm -hmm. so they go, but they're going into Native American land who don't want them there, mm -hmm. so they're going to pay the price for the government decrees mm -hmm. and the government decisions. It's like you and I were talking earlier about you know we need sometimes we have to separate the government mm -hmm. decision making from the individual decision making individuals are trying to survive mm -hmm. and the walmarts aren't around mm -hmm. and they got to plant a crop right. now mm -hmm. or their children die so whether that's a pioneer that's doing that or a native american that's doing that they're trying to feed their families mm -hmm. any way they can i mean it's funny you can almost in this era you can see native americans they're fighting for a place to live plant hunt pioneers doing the same thing and guess what? As soon as the war's over, those former slaves are going to be strewn to God knows where, and they're going to be doing the same thing too. Mm -hmm. They're going to walk on other people's land and start, you know, killing a chicken if they have to, growing a crop if they have to, because it's called survival, mm -hmm. and there's no stores. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's where I just say, when you understand it like that at the bare bones level, you realize how big a struggle this is. Mm -hmm. You know, where am I going to live? Um, and there's no houses for sale. You have to build your own. So all that to say, yeah, we're definitely on Osage land down here, mm -hmm. um, informally and formally. And the Osage are never considered. Uh, but this is a good point to say this, though. The Osage are, are almost always pro-government. Um, and so are the Kaw. In fact, they're kind, of a, they're kind of a story in what happens if you are, do what you're told as mm -hmm. a Native American, well, you're still not treated very well. Mm -hmm. um, the Osage end up getting a little bit better treatment when they go to Oklahoma because mm -hmm. they get a chance to own their land mm -hmm. um, in the move. But um, but yeah, so they're all walking into this. It's amazing there weren't more confrontations and conflicts down here. Mm -hmm. Osage Indians joined the Union Army. One whole regiment of Kansas soldiers was Osage Indians. Oh. So, um, pretty incredible story. Okay. Is that Apopiaholo's? He's a creek. Oh, he's a creek. Yeah, Apopiaholo. He's a creek. I love that you can just, it just rolls right off your <laughs> I said it a hundred times, like the first day I ever saw it. I think I never say it right. <laughs> Opapaleahola. Opapaleahola. You'll mess me up if you say that wrong a few times. <laughs> I'm going to keep practicing. That'll be another episode too. Because yeah. that's fascinating. That's that an interesting, fascinating. Note, interesting story to me. So. Yeah. I think we've, have we about solved any, any more think, mysteries? No, I think we've solved today's mystery. What was today's mystery? Free state or bust? Yeah. Who were those men who came down here? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, what, when we read the article from Captain Crackland last mm -hmm. week, he he mentions that there are 15 other men with him. Mm -hmm. So that's 16 that come down in that first group. And so far, we've been able to identify Cracklin, Swift, Dietzler, and uh, Stewart. Mm -hmm. And there's one more name that he mentioned that was mentioned by Augusta Stewart, who we later find out came down here. His name was Jeremiah Jordan, and he was in that in that prison camp also. Um, and they called him Jerry, and he was a he he wanted him. Sam looks like he wanted him to come down with him because he could work. He was a young, hard worker, and he he uh, recruited him to come down. I think some of the other men may have been the money men, but he had he had to have a balance of, of things. So out of sixteen, we've got a you know a handful of names now of of those. Um, 
too numerous to identify or lost of time. So it's exciting. So I think next week we might maybe learn some more about Great. some of them. I'm excited. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kim, for joining us. I do. I mean, I know it says it on there that I'm supposed to thank you for yeah. coming, but yeah. I'm really glad that you did. I learned a lot. I have a whole host of new questions, new things to read, but I hope mm -hmm. that you will consider coming back for another yeah. episode with us. Sure. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you. Uh, let's see. What are we going to do next time? Do we know what our next episode is going to be about? Uh, I don't think we know. It's probably, now that they get here, a little bit more about what they found when they got here. Probably a squatter. I think mm -hmm. there was a squatter here when they came. Mm -hmm. Who, which is, thank you for sharing that about the rule to squat and how you have to live on it and you can't just be there or sell it and move on because, you know, we, we do see that though with our first, you know, for if they come down, someone squatting and like, hey, give it, we want that property. It's prime, mm -hmm. basically prime real estate. Go get here you go get another claim hmm. so that's some still stuff we're trying to find him more more about him in the history books but but that's you know maybe some more clues to look for because mm -hmm. if they squatted they had to register somewhere they're supposed to hmm. keywords supposed to. supposed to but they if they were, were pro-slavery squatter would they have they were supposed to more clues. More clues. All right. Well, we're going to look. We're going to look for that. 150 years in El Dorado, and we are still in 1857. But you know what? I really am going to learn a lot about 1857 by the time we're done. Okay. We need to. We need to move ourselves a little further Eventually. down the road. Eventually, go further. And if you'd like to learn more about today's topic, you're welcome to come to the Kansas Oil Museum, Butler County Historical Society and our research library, and we can help you find the resources you need. Absolutely. Suzanne is really good at that. She helps me oh, every time I get stuck. Thank you again. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Ken. Um, until next time. And if this was your first time, please come back. And um, we will be hunting history here on Everyday El Dorado. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisal. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. Be sure to tune in each week on Wednesday at 12 o'clock on KBTL 88.1 The Grizz locally or streaming online by visiting kbtl.butlercc.edu. All views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or positions of Butler Community College or KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, El Dorado, Kansas, Radio for Butler. What up, history? <laughs> All the books. All I know to say is Ken says. You think he'll want a t-shirt? here on Everyday El Dorado, but keep an eye out and an ear open for your source of information on the fine art of living well every day.
in El Dorado. Have a great day. Oh. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah,